Hello and welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host Tom. Hello. And uh, we got an interesting film this week. We have Ronald Names 1960 film Tune of Glory. Tunes. Tunes of Tunes of Glory. I, I already fucked it up. It's multiple melodies. God yeah. damn it. Especially at the end when they're all overlapping. <laughs> but <laughs> before we get to that... Tom had an idea uh, because uh, when we're recording this, uh, we're a day or two after the Oscar nominations having come out, and so we kind of want to have a little bit of a chat. Yeah, well, like a follow-up episode, I suppose, to to um, our look back on the twenty, um, the films of the twenty nine uh, twenty nineteen, mm. and uh, we were talking about a lot of you know. I, I, at the time we were recording that, I thought that the nominations were out, but they weren't. No, no, yeah. Um, so, so I thought, well, let's touch on it even just for five minutes or so, because mm-hmm. um, there's there's some upsets to say the least. I'm scratching my head over and blah blah blah. blah. Yep. Um, and he said that I did I did like that uh, Ryan Johnson got his nomination for um, what I thought was a really incredible script for Knives Out. Yeah, that that was one of those great like, oh, that's awesome, you got nominated. Um, but like he's probably not going to win. But it's like that's no, just yeah, it's just great that a little weird, interesting film like that got nominated. Um, but one of my favorite things in regards to Ryan Johnson being nominated and things was seeing his response on Twitter. Uh-huh. He was like, "Oh, this, this is really cool." But um, the fuck, where's Uncut Gems? <laughs> like even yeah, okay, so he's also <laughs> even, yeah, even someone who did get nominated was like, "I appreciate being nominated," but the Safety Brothers, maybe I know, I know, it's really crazy. <laughs> That's, I mean, when we were having our discussion a couple of weeks ago, uh, last week or whatever it was, mm. we were trying to figure out what's the best film of the year, was it Uncut Gems or Parasite? Yeah. And to have no nominations just boggles the brain. Yeah, it's one where it's, it's like multiple steps, I think. I think it's the, like, it's a well-known fact that the, the average age of the Academy is 60 plus. Like, if you tally up the age of all the people in the Academy, it's 60-plus, predominantly white men. And that is a weird, shocking new voice from young upstarts, essentially. And so it's it's different, and I don't see that... That's why The Irishman got so many nominations. That's why Ford vs. Ferrari is up for Best Picture. Why the fucking Joker get so many nominations, then? Because I don't even. See, so I scratch my head. That's all. I yeah, do. It, uh, yeah. I have a lot of issues with Joker, but <laughs> a lot of issues. But it's um, yeah. Play, you got to play the game, and that's why things like you know Kathy Bates getting nominated for Richard Jewell, like, uh, all right, over Jennifer um, Lopez. Like, I'm not the biggest Jennifer Lopez fan, but I legitimately think she should have gotten nominated for Hustlers. Mm. Yeah. Well, what what does it mean like when it's you know. There's politics at play. Is it because people are lining other people's pockets? Yeah, and you got to schmooze, and you got to go to the parties, and you got to talk to the press, and you got to. Mm. Oh, but all the Safety brothers did was like made a good film, made an amazing film, and kind of had fun, and did they did some interviews and stuff, but they didn't like you know. Adam Sandler did a lot of work that he would otherwise not do. Mm. Well, that uh, was it, and that was his big thing when he didn't get nominated. He's like, sweet, I don't have to wear suits anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it's. I mean, that to me was the most engaging performance I had seen. Yes, the whole year. Yeah. So. And it is that thing where, like, you look at the nominees, and um, like, I saw a bunch of other people. Like, I saw one hilarious article. I forget if it was Hollywood Reporter or I don't think it was Variety, but it was like very clearly like the key Academy demographic writer 
Because he was like, everyone is saying, woe is me that Adam Sandler didn't get nominated for the overly, like, aggressive, profanity-laden bro-fest that is Uncut Gems. And it's like, wow, you you didn't get that movie. And he's just like, why is no one talking about why Robert De Niro didn't get nominated for The Irishman? You're like, shut up, Grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, the, yeah, it's I hate to use it, but it's like the this year's Oscars are essentially okay, Boomer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like, fuck, like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like that. It's like that. Well, I mean, I mean, normally I wouldn't give a shit, but but to have no nominations on Cup Gens means it's kind of like it's at risk of just falling into obscurity, and mainstream attention mm-hmm. will never get will never get noticed. No, this is this is like what I think is at, like. Uncut Gems is fine. Uncut Gems doesn't need Oscar glory to know it's a good film. Sure. It, it is a good film. It doesn't need those accolades. That being said, it is probably going to fucking sweep the Independent Spirit Awards, which are okay. like the indie Oscars. Yeah. But it's in 10 years' time, no one's going to be talking about Ford versus Ferrari, the two popes, yeah. all of these things. But you will fucking remember the time that you saw uncut gems yeah because and that's what matters like in 10 yeah. years time just like punch drunk love yeah like, people always call back to punch drunk love go like fuck remember that like adam sandler really did a good mm. job and shit well it doesn't even have to be sandler related it's just anytime you see an impactful film that is incredibly made a new fresh fresh and like you know exciting voice i know the safties have made multiple films but mm. you know breaking through in the mainstream like that it's exciting and it will be remembered regardless of Okay. Getting a trophy. Thanks for the pep talk. That's all right. But I, I'll end it on one slight positive note. Uh, the fact that Parasite got six nominations, I think, is incredible. Uh, being only the 12th non-English language film to be nominated for Best Picture in 92 years of Academy Awards. But they also do... It, it, they got nominated for Best International Film. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously, if it's the Best Picture, it's going to be in that category too. Yes. But I got the sneaking suspicion that you put it in like does it mean that it's just going to win that and you don't get the best picture or can you win oh, both you, at the so same you're time? talking about uh, the Roma effect which happened last year yeah yeah because I I had my money on Roma winning best picture last year because out of the things that were nominated I personally think like could have gone to either like Roma or Black Klansman like or you know there were multiple great ones I could have gone to not fucking Green Book mm. but um, the fact that Roma they gave it international film and then I think like editing and screenplay and he got director so they're like you got your stuff like now we'll give it to by definition if it's the best picture in America then it's probably going to be best picture internationally oh easily like it's without a doubt the safest bet you have at the Oscars this year is that Parasite is going to win best international film yeah that's just the fucking given (laughs) (laughs) because the only film that could possibly compete with it was Portrait of a Lady on Fire but France didn't even put that up for nomination yeah they got Les Mis yeah which I I loved Les Mis but it's it's no Portrait of a Lady on Fire Mm. um so like Parasite's 100% gonna win that um but it's that thing of, like, now they're starting to be a little bit of a groundswell for it possibly getting Best Picture. Yeah. Like, I would love for that to happen. Yeah. It's probably going to go to 1917. Hmm. But... It's a very tale situation. Mm. Jojo Rabbit did really well as well. Yeah, it got... Uh, I was happy to see Scarlett Johansson get nominated. Yeah, I'm stoked about that. Yeah, mm. watching her... That was an amazing supporting role. Yeah, she's having a banger year. She got nominated for Best Actress and Supporting Actress in yeah, the same it's year. It's great. I was actually... Um, she pulled an Al Pacino. <laughs> yeah. I was looking up, like, uh, I was, when I saw it, I mentioned to Chris that 
it was similar to um, a lot of performances Julieta uh, Messina mm, yeah. had done. Oh, yeah, because you hadn't like, seen it yet by the time we did our wrap-up. Yeah. That's right, yeah. I only saw it in, like the last week I went to mm. the cinemas and watched it. And, uh, yeah, it's like it was. she was really channeling Julieta Messina's characters in... Uh, that's Fellini's wife. Mm. Um, especially in La Strada, which has even got like that theatrical, bouncy, um, childlike personality, but like a really strong-willed woman as well. Mm-hmm. And actually, there's a, a photo shoot that um, Scarlett Johansson did in 2001 or 11. Probably 11. 2001 would be like Ghost World time. Yeah, yeah, yeah 2011. Um, and she's dressed up as, as Messina's character from La Strada. So That's she's, awesome. I mean, she is um, one of the best actresses in the world. So And also she, the highest paid actor in the world currently. Sure. I believe that. Yeah. She's doing so she would certainly know her shit and, and know of that lady. Yeah. But, um, yeah, my favorite nomination that's happened across the board is that Parasite got nominated for production design. I was so fucking happy that that got through because, you know, that wonderful house for Parasite, they built that from scratch for the film and they designed every aspect of it to play as elements of the film. Really? Yep. And I'm so happy that that got recognized for production design. It's not going to win because... They'll be like, oh, but 1917, they blew up stuff. <laughs> in Joker, yeah. Joaquin Phoenix hopped inside a fridge. That's a, that's a cool piece of trivia. Yeah, it's, um, it's fucking incredible. And it's like purposely, that's why all the stairs and the lines and things like... That's right. Yeah. And the garden and how it's just, everything's just everything's cut off hit, from everything yeah, Exactly. Else. Like it all plays in perfectly. And yeah. So I was, I was so happy that that happened. Well, let's pray to the film gods that Parasite gets a... Best picture. Anyway, that that was last week's discussion. Mm, yeah. Let's talk about Tunes of Glory. Yes, 1960, done by uh, Ronald Neem. We actually seen um, a couple of his films. Yeah. Well, he produced Brief Encounter, which was directed by David Lean, and, and we saw that a and, little while ago. And Great Expectations as well. He, oh, yeah. He started as producer, production manager, cinematographer even. Like, he was kind of jack of all trades. Oliver Twist then? I don't know if he did Oliver Twist as well. I definitely know it was great. he did Great Expectations and Brief Encounter. Okay. Well, Oliver Twist has got um, uh, Alec Guinness in it as well. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know whether they're all kind of teammates. Mm. Um, but yeah, we also saw uh, Hopscotch. Yes. A while back, which was fucking great. Mm-hmm. With and, uh, and Walter Matthau and uh, Glenda Jackson. Yeah, your mum's favourite film. Yes. <laughs> and she's on the podcast. If you want to go back and find... I was talking about Hopscotch, you'll also find Chris's mum. Yep, she was like, guess the special guest on that yeah, episode. <laughs> yeah. And it was a nice episode. Hmm. So uh, and but we also did uh, The Horse's Mouth. He oh, did I, as well with Alec Guinness. I don't remember that. That's uh, Gully Jimson, the the paint Alec Guinness is the painter who lives on oh, the boat. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's not too bad. It was fine. This, I, this, I didn't mm, dig it that much, but it's yeah. This was better. Yes. It's an interesting one though. This this was a slow burn for me. Me too. Yeah, Me too. It, it was like really about in the last half hour or so, it really started to kind of click. I'm, I in total agreeance. Uh, let's do a synopsis. Mm-hmm. Um, so the film covers approximately a few weeks uh, at um, a Scottish Highland regimental uh, barracks up in the hills somewhere, mm-hmm. and it's post-World War Two, so it's peacetime. And uh, Alec Guinness's character, Jock Sinclair, is a major but acting as Colonel, mm-hmm. um, and you know he's doing his his acting colonel duties, and John Mills, who plays uh, Lieutenant Colonel Barrow, mm-hmm. he comes to take the actual position of colonel, and he's 
very rigid, very authoritarian, um, let's call it old school style military man. Just different, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they, it's kind of like a, almost like an odd couple situation. Yeah. Where they both just bash heads together. And after their first kind of encounter of bashing heads, you hear like one of the other sergeants sort of make it a little aside about, I've seen multiple, like multiple times I've seen replaced, like, you know, colonels be replaced and have to, it, it never goes well. Mm. Like the, it's always a, like the changing of the guard is never easy and good. Yeah. So that kind of sets you up for, oh, well, this is going to. I was kind of expecting a lighter, kind of more comedy film based on what we've seen of Neem previously, but... It does have that tone uh, somewhat in the first third or, or half, even. I think mainly in Elginis' performance, that's yeah. where the kind of levity comes, but the actual story and the core of it is kind of more a serious take on the, like, officer's life post-World War Two. It's yeah. real interesting. It's unusual for a war film. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, at that time, you'd have war films that are just full-on, kind of, like, basic old-timey old action films. But this one is, you're at a barracks, and you're always at a barracks, and there is there is no sequence where a gun is pulled out. No. Uh, and you just let it, let it play out in terms of two colonels and their soldiers living together. Mm. Um, and it's too almost diametrically opposed ways to run a barracks or conduct yourself as an officer. And also they're like the way they view the military bashing, like, you know, competing. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good, a good place to start discussion because Elliot Guinness, um, well, I should say Jock, Jock Sinclair's character Mm -hmm. is you kind of blue collar fellow, um, who's, I guess his connection to the military is more people-driven. If and you're going to war, it's the, your brothers-in-arms kind of situation. And he got to be a colonel because he started as a piper boy, and he right. has been in the military his entire life, in the barracks with the men. That's how he's be- risen through the ranks. And then... It's like one of the boys, basically. Yeah, yeah. Despite and, being their, um, the authority. Yes, and because he spent his entire life in the barracks with the men, essentially. And enter Colonel Barrow, who came up through an academic aspect and has never really been much in the barracks. And, you know, that's where you get little comments like, I didn't know they... I thought Whitehall would have changed... Like, you know, prepared you for paperwork and, like, you know, the little, like, snooty asides they make to each other. And it is that, like disrespect i guess that alec guinness is kind of showing because he doesn't think he's a real soldier but it's why is your route to the that kind of position better or diff like it's just different to his and so it's two ways of working it but i guess i guess in peacetime in the barracks they would have they'd be used to the playful atmosphere that, mm. that jock sinclair would provide but then in peacetime i guess the idea is you'd have a colonel come in and say even though it's peacetime we have to be rigid and, mm. and stable so which is kind of how we're first introduced to barrow it essentially it does kind of feel like it, i got like an oddly like a sergeant bilko-esque vibe where it's just like <laughs> we're gonna like pretend that like we're doing good like he has them doing dance training and stuff and yeah, it's like yeah. meh like fuck yeah. you colonel it's yeah. just like let's try and well, i thought it was gonna go the route of like we'll show this like stiff upper lip guy like yeah i thought so as well yeah, yeah but then it ends up the film brilliantly kind of lets you in on why Barrow is like that and why he's so strict. And it's not because he has a 
stick up his ass, it's because he cares about the military. Well, he, yeah, I mean, the, the difference between the two is, is while one is... Jock Sinclair is for the people of the military. He's mm. very much for the idea, and it's very precious. Yeah. So I think, and this is, this comes down to John Mills' performance. Yes. Um, he could be so easily have just become both of the colonels could have become just shitty caricatures. Mm. One just being a drunken um, soldier that's just like doesn't you know that cares only for his his um, having a good time at the barracks, and the other one being just some you know dickhead with a stiff upper lip like early on i kind of got like a oh god please don't let this be like military meet the parents i was worried about <laughs> yeah, that. yeah was like worried just that, that like arch kind of fucking dull stereotype thing there but i become sympathetic of john mills's character mm, exactly and yeah because his performance is so good mm. Mm. well you get that sense that that yeah he's kind of he doesn't fit in this situation he clearly doesn't fit because a lot of the um, a lot of the soldiers just like, like, why are you being such a dick, basically? Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, you know where he's coming from. And so. it is that interesting thing of like, we, we are initially kind of introduced to Alec Guinness and his playful, sorry, excuse me, his playful nature with the troops and like, you know, his regiment. And then immediately the first instance of Barrow coming in is him arriving a night early unannounced and kind of immediately catching them off guard to kind of, you know, be on the front foot, I guess, there instantly. And it is the way he first kind of comes in. You get a sense of, like, yeah, he has a stick up his ass and he's doing these things and being so hard on them to establish a dominance almost to some degree. Or just... Uh, this is, I'm saying, like, this is before you get to know him as a character. This is, like, it, it, the initial thing of like the first morning there and he's like not dance lessons and it's like that's actually really insulting to the man like yeah but also but I, I feel that's him trying time, to establish like I am I am the colonel and you will respect my orders and stuff authority is is king yeah absolutely with this guy but also when he first arrived everyone's going considering it's it's really rude because you well like it's rude basically because they bro- he broke up the party mm because um, he doesn't want to have a whiskey. Yeah. right. It's really it. They said, do you want to have whiskey? He goes, I don't do whiskey. Mm. Uh, and they go, well, should we stop the party? He's like, no, no, I'll just go to bed. I'll, I'll be official capacity as a colonel tomorrow. Yeah. Like it's supposed to be. Yeah. So he's not he's not being a dick. No, no. But he's being construed as a dick. Uh, but then there's the whole blow up the next day with like, I thought you weren't in official capacity last night, yet you monitored and, and you're doing sure. yeah which is like that there is that drama which is what makes me think that it's him kind of you know kind of flexing a little bit to some to like you know establish his power and his like not power but like you know his I am in this role now I am your superior officer I'm trying to set ground rules and it's duty though yes he, he do, he's not flexing so much as he, th- he consider, is, considers it to be his duty I, but the, dan- the the thing that gets me is dancing. There's nothing like that's mm-hmm. he he wants them to look proper, but that which I get, but that's not necessarily a military exercise. Is no, that's right. dancing at a party, but he because he respects the soldiers and you know that uniform and everything so much, he wants whenever someone is wearing that to exude kind of elegance. And he, well, he he says that he he wants soldiers to be you know, aggressive and brutal during wartime, but in peacetime to be gentle. Mm. And so that's that's why he's like, it's time to learn some some nice dance maneuvers to be yeah. to show off your gentle side when it's peacetime. So even then, 
yeah, you can get why what he's doing, but but see the soldiers are like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, fuck you. We know how to dance. You just judged us off of a drunken party last night where mm. we were having fun and no one was around. <laughs> but yeah, but it, it all leads up to uh, let's call it the end of. Is it, would you call it the the start of Act Two or the the midway of Act Two where uh, Jock Sinclair uh, hits a fellow that is going after his daughter at a at mm. a, a lounge at a bar? Yeah, one of one of the pipers, and it's not just going after, but like they've kind of been dating. They've been dating, yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, leading up to this point, this is probably like an hour in almost. It's it's. It does take its time to get going, but it is because it does just seem like it's a cat. You're going to end up being a cat and mouse between these two opposing ways to run. Yeah, the thing, and it just kind of peters along like that for a while. It's like your yeah, it's like that the Sergeant Bilko thing, just little tiny episodic. Yeah, riffs. Yeah, at the barracks, and then we have an inciting incident. Yeah, so Jock Sinclair finds one of the younger pipers going after his daughter at a lounge and proceeds to hit him and they're both in uniform so obviously it's a big problem mm-hmm. um, and, and there, there are lots be... of witnesses around and yeah so essentially jock is if it becomes made a matter he will be court-martialed and yeah it's an inquiry so but then i think charlie was the name of the piper no no charlie scott was the other the guy who immediately became the right hand man charlie's the, ma- the new major yeah, yeah. um sorry so it's a, it's anyway. The, I forget I forget the name of the name, soldier who's courting his daughter. F. Yeah. Oh, uh, Fra- Fraser. Fraser. Okay. Yeah. So do, it doesn't Fraser say, "Hey, it's all good." I mean, you hit me, uh, but uh, you know, for the sake of of the regiment of the battalion, I'm not going to really worry about it. Let's just move on. Was that a thing? Yeah. Well, the, it was like it's the debate of. Where are we going to go with this? Like, it is, like, Fraser hasn't put for... Um, let's just call him Fraser for the sake of... Yeah, sure. He's, um... He's, he, not, he's not laying charges, let's say. Because he understands it's not a military matter, it's a personal matter. And so it, it is that, like, 50... It could go either way. And, um... It, it's the interesting thing of having Scott, the, the new major, kind of enjoying the way... Or, or kind of respecting the way that Barrow is running his ship. That, or, you know, that he... He sides with him and is like, well, no, you've established, a, you know, a, a, that we are going to be a proper army barracks and we're going to hit all these points. This is what needs to, this is the procedure of what happens now. And so it's, it is that, like, you now have Barrow at a crossroads. Well, Barrow decides to go forward with a full-on inquiry and, um, and here's, this is the big, I mean, this is where the film picks up mm. this is where the, this is where the film is i think everything's like kind of introduction to this um this drama it, it essentially puts both of our opposing characters at a point where they have to now acknowledge each other's methods and either sure. accept and adapt or Except and adapt. Essentially, it's well, what's the proper course? Is it, yeah, yeah, it, and it is, and it's putting you, the audience, in the thing of like, because by this time we've been given enough of a proper introduction of Barrow as a character, where you see where he's coming from, who he is, what type of man he is, and we also have seen a lot of instances of um, of Jock, and he's kind of a dick. Mm-hmm. Excellently yes. played by Alec Guinness, but... But during... I mean, I was, this is what I was thinking about throughout the film was... If I was 
jock soldier and it was wartime and things are getting pretty hairy out and mm. fucking you know trenches or whatever you want to wherever the fuck you are depending on what war you're in um what kind i mean what would be a, a better leader in that situation somebody that's like with you on the front line mm. or somebody's that at the back um trying to create as much stability as possible yeah essentially sitting back playing looking at the pieces of the chessboard yeah yeah it, it forces them to kind of confront or come to terms with... Because all throughout the film at this point, we've seen both of them butt heads and, like, vehemently not want to kind of... Like, you know, bend to each other's kind of wishes, like their or their methods, we'll say. But now that Jock is... It's looking like he is going to go through inquiry, which will lead to court-martial and things... He is kind of accepting of that. He understands as like, well, that's if that's what it's going to be, that's what it's going to be. That's the regiment, and that's like the, what you do. He's seeing it from Barrow's point of view, and but that's also now forcing Barrow into a position of, if I do it though, it is going to make me the total antithesis of Jock, and I will be hated by the men, and there will be no camaraderie no sense of family no sense of brotherhood i will just be the other mm. and that's he's it, it forces him to realize that while he doesn't agree with jock's methods that there's a there's a madness to it that kind of works so and he, under, he understands it it's like a lose-lose situation yeah well it's lose-lose but also kind of win win it's that thing of it both of our characters are forced into a situation where they acknowledge each other's position essentially yeah there's that really great scene where barrows walks into jock's bedroom yeah and they just kind of try and nut out face to face it's almost like put the barracks aside yeah let's just talk man to man about our own ideas of what it means to be a colonel or, or a leader and you know, a leader of soldiers and you can see that this is why why john mills performs so good he's so good in this he's film. so fucking great uh, he's really trying to find a way to be able to hold on to his ideals as mm-hmm. a colonel, but also adapt. Put out a, a, a hand of friendship and camaraderie to yeah uh, to Jock's character. An understanding of his way of running the mi- if if they can kind of find a, a a middle ground of both of their methods, you would have that perfect thing. Yeah, and that's essentially what he's doing with this by chatting with Jock, trying to find a middle ground and then like, you know, telling him his story and where he's coming from. And in return, Jock kind of does similar and they kind of meet this middle ground where it's like, well, all right, we're going to call off the inquiry. Well, what, what would you do? Because you've got, you've got a situation in which Barrows can stop, can call off the inquiry but in doing so, destroy the idea. I mean, to him, it's destroying yeah. the idea of, of the battalion. Yes. So you're, you're going against the ideals of the living and the dead, even people that, yeah. that are dead. So it's like... Which is, he brilliantly says in his monologue about why he, he's, he loves the rich history of the British military. Like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. It... And so he ends up calling it off. Yeah. For, which I think is... Which is kind of an interesting idea that you go like, despite the idea of a battalion, I'm going to go against 
it go against the idea itself. Why I think he does decide to call it off, like I said, it, it's him finding that middle ground or like being accepting of there being a middle ground between their two styles. And I feel he agrees to call it off because he thinks he's made that same break. Alec Guinness has made that similar breakthrough and his understanding of where Barrow is coming, where he's coming from. And that's, it's, it's that kind of like, all right, we've hit a simpatico. We kind of get it now. Let's. It's like a yin and yang. Yeah. But. (laughs) Yeah. This is, this is where it gets. And so it's like done. And then Barrow leaves and this is where it gets real interesting when Alec Guinness just mutters under his breath, toy soldier. Like, he, you think he has grown in respect and understanding, and just with the simple fucking line and this brilliant line delivery, you're like, oh no, you were just manipulating him to get out of trouble. Like, you, you don't give a shit, like, about his, him or where he comes from, which leads us to the amazing and interesting third act. Yeah. Of, essentially, Barrow has... Like we've said, and come to this understanding, shifted in all of this, and put himself on the line, and is expecting some respect and understanding from <laughs> from Jock and his men, and is met with absolutely nothing. It's nothing has changed, and it just breaks the man. Yeah, well, even worse, like they all think that Jock was the one behind it, and it wasn't. It wasn't Colonel Barrow extending a hand of of camaraderie and friendship. It was mm-hmm. just Jock doing what he does, and don't even consider thinking about the colonel. It's still, he's still their colonel. But there's, like, that, that beautiful moment when they're all at the table and, like, one of the men goes to try and mm. bring him in and it's just so brutal. Yeah, like, that, that was super sad. Yeah. Super sad. Which is immediately followed by Barrow just going and killing himself. Spoilers. <laughs> well, he, goes, he has a, a chat with Dennis Price's character. Uh, Scott, um, Major yeah. Charles Scott, uh, who was the one that was... That had warmed, well, re- let's say respected, understood his methods, like what, understood where he was coming from, and they have a, a really brief talk about, you know, should he have ever gone back? And Charles, yeah, Scott says, nope. Yeah, well, that's it. Like Barrow's, like he's asking, like, why did you side with me? Like, you know, you've been part of this regiment forever. Like, you know, he was your colonel. And he's just like, man, you're my colonel now. Like, Cause, <laughs> don't cause go back to your the same ideas. value. The, yeah. the battalion is an idea, and it's bigger than. Than uh, it's bigger than one man and or, or two men squabbling. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, then then <laughs> then Colonel Barrett goes upstairs and and shoots himself in the face. Yeah. You don't see, but I love just I love the shot of him just walking up those those stairs, and then you hear the gunshot while they're all kind of laughing and. And it's well, they like they are going looking for him because they're like the night can't end. We got to have a dram with him. Mm-hmm. But the way they're doing it seems like ah, oh, well, we won, he lost. Let's 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 buy him a drink, kind of thing. It's not a respectful kind of way. It's really brutal. Yeah, yeah. But then this is when there's this kind of the shot goes off. Yeah, and you have you have Alec Guinness. The camera pulls it back on him and his face just kind of switches modes mm-hmm. into like, yeah, you can see with the, the yin and yang thing. Yeah. It's just like, there's the, I have to be a leader in authority now, not one of the boys. Yeah. Um, so a part of Barrow's approach is just sucked into him. He immediately and- becomes that. Mm. He, he it, it just, it took this horrible incident for him to 
make that change when Barrow thought he could do it on a personal level with him and yeah. it just didn't and it broke Barrow and yeah he, he eventually got through to him I guess but in like a really horrible way yeah what well, goes up I, this is so up until this point the film was was okay yeah to me I was just like this is fine I, I'm not I'm not thinking this is an ex- excellent film yeah it's not a bad film uh, like my interest it's above peaked, average my interest started to peak at the um like the bedroom scene between bedroom Bar- scene. like that's where I'm like oh, okay I, I see what you're doing movie this is interesting yeah but then when uh, when Jock goes up into the bathroom, the film all of a sudden turns into some really... It's all of a sudden a, a modern film. It's got the first use of, of a non-diegetic music with this mm-hmm. like really weird supernatural... I don't know whether it was strings or something like that. I can't something, recall. yeah. Um, but he starts freaking out about the ghost of, of, of Colonel Barrow. Um and all of a sudden, I was just like fully engaged. It was in with there was a lot of intensity going on. Mm. Um, and from there, from there on, actually, the the whole style of the filmmaking shifted from like your, your regular old, you know, blah blah blah, whatever shots. Not to say that, the, that there's bad shots. It, it was fine, but it did seem very kind of. I, I often use the term like just workhorse or like paint by numbers. It was very standard what you would expect from this kind of period film it just became really creative because you have have you say like those supernatural uh the supernatural score coming in all of a sudden and these kind of really odd obscure shots yeah the the angles are weird and like the mirror stuff it's it's real interesting it just well yeah like you said it just shifts it's all of a sudden yeah and then finally goes into the last sequence which is uh I, I think the best uh, the best acting I've seen from Alan Guinness ever. Yeah, I was debating that actually when I was driving over here. I was trying to think like what like where does this fall? We'll, we'll get into that, but yeah, like let's discuss the actual scene. So yeah, so the scene is there. Uh, obviously, um, Barrows is now dead by suicide, and they're discussing. Well, uh, Jock is describing how the funeral is going to play out, and it's going to be a, a big to do. We're going to pretend that there's no suicide. It's a. It's actually it's the proper military funeral yeah. that he now realizes this man wanted and deserved because of his love and respect for the military. Yeah, and it's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, there's like a, a really emotional outpouring. Mm. Um, and what's really interesting, this also is the yin and yang situation. Uh, all of his men. Going like, why, why are you doing this for a guy that committed suicide? We don't do this. One of them starts laughing. Yeah, in, yeah. Like it, when they're discussing the yeah. plans for this funeral and it's... And the higher ups, um, you know, back in, back in wherever, are going to say this, this is not going to happen. You can't, you can't bring out all the big guns and have a military parade in his honour. He committed suicide. Yeah. And he pulls a, a barrow and says, you'll do what I fucking say. Yeah. Um, because this guy respected the idea of the battalion. We will respect him for that. Yes. I understand where he, who he was as a man, where he was coming from. I get it now. Mm-hmm. And, and the weird, the weird stylization carries through. There's, he's, he's taking his idea of the funeral, um, projecting that to the, to the guys in the room. And you can have, you, you hear what he's thinking. You hear the drums and you hear the bagpipes and you hear the guns going off. And But in an interesting same way, he's getting kind of over and kind of stressed by it all and starts to put his 
it looks like he's having a migraine similar to what would happen with Barrow when he saw the men behaving how Jock would let them behave and it was kind of breaking him. It was that interesting thing of like really hammering home that they have shifted now to the positions and it's, yeah. They kind of incorporated each other. Exactly, yeah. On, on both sides. One of them ended up shooting themselves in the head and basically it seems like Jock has a fucking nervous breakdown because he's got to be carried out after the end of it crying. It is a bleak ending. Yeah, yeah. It, it, re- it really hits you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like you said, I, it is arguably some of the best acting Alec Guinness has ever done, I think, he in, in this last ten minutes. It is such a different character than I've ever seen him do. It's You never think of Alec Guinness playing... I mean, he's played villains before, like, you know, Fagin and things, like in Oliver Twist, like you'd mentioned, but... It, to see him play a protagonist who's a bit of a dick. Mm. Well, he, he's, he played a... Um, I think it was a major or colonel or lieutenant or whatever in Bridge Over the River Choir. Yeah. But that was the Barrow's character, like a really rigid the, the man who, in the spite of being in a POW camp and all this hard labour, was still, no, we're military men, let's act as such. Like, And that's, that's like, he won his Oscar for that, and it's fucking incredible film. But it is... So we've seen him do military, but not this type. And it's so different from anything I've seen him do, just in terms of nailing that Scottish accent as well. Like, yeah. so good in it. But his little mannerisms and his... It, it, he made that character... Like, Jock, you 100% like, oh, I know that guy. Like, that is... Like, that's a character that lived and breathed, I think. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's totally. amazing in it. But as is John Mills, like, both of them just pop off the screen to the extent that I'm like every other actor in the film I'm like you're window dressing <laughs> like, you're doing you're doing fine but like you're just I don't even I think Charles Scott Major Charles Scott Dennis Price did a good job too as a mm-hmm. supporting role but yeah like those guys are fucking crazy Alec Guinness I, he, I read that this is his favourite role he ever did that's interesting um the one little bit of trivia, because all the trivia I found was about, like, well, the tartan that they're wearing means that they were probably part of this. Like, I don't care about what regiment they were meant to be in. Mm-hmm. But um, apparently, initially, um, when the film was getting made, uh, they wanted Alec Guinness to play the Barrow's part. Well, that would have been because of the Bridge Over the Require. And he was like, I really love the script, and because it's based off a book as well, and he was a big fan of the book, and was like, no, I want to... I want to play Jock. And they were like, really? You haven't done this kind of thing before? He's like, no, I'm fucking playing Jock. That's what we're doing. And you should cast my mate John Mills as Barrow. He was the one who suggested Mills for the role. Pretty cool, I thought. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's, that's interesting that this is his favorite. It's, well, as he says, it's his, what he considers to be his best role. Yeah. Um, I, we, and like fucking yeah like and the, we know he hated Star minutes. Wars so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but yeah he's amazing in the film yeah it's a real standout the last yeah so that last half an hour and especially that last scene where he just pulls off this fucking crazy monologue is like insane and the, the arc coming full circle with him as a character it, mm. it's so great I, yeah it like you're saying, like it's it, you know, it's one of those films where for the first hour you're like, oh yeah, it's fine, it's fine, but then it get, it's like, okay, now I get why, you know, everyone likes this film, like why it's regarded. Yeah, yeah. Like randomly, I've been listening to. It's, it's rare that you get that kind of experience where mm. you're so close to an end and you're going like, whatever. 
Yeah, but like this is it fine. Just around like that. Uh, the weirdest thing was like I, I like watching it. I was like, man, this is gonna be a tough episode. I don't really know if I got much to say. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I got a lot to say now. All of a sudden, yeah, <laughs> because of like twenty minutes. Yeah, it's great. Well, yeah. What can you say about Sergeant Bilko bullshit? And then like so much to say about. I don't know. Dan Aykroyd is a clueless guy. Who likes to play with models. Come on, <laughs> the good stuff. <laughs> um, but it was interesting. Like I, I kind of. <laughs> I was very... Because I knew nothing about this one. I was going in totally blind. Although, earlier this week, um, I was listening to... There's a podcast called The Rewatchables. Uh, and, where you know, it's... Uh, watching older films and kind of discussing, like, you know, are they... Are they great to go back to and things? And uh, Quentin Tarantino has been on the last three episodes discussing some of his favourite films to rewatch. Mm. And uh, one of them he pulled out was Dunkirk which he think is now ranked as his number two film of the decade. And so they were just discussing Dunkirk and things. And he was like, why he liked Dunkirk was because it gave a different perspective on war and military films. And he's like, there are very few films that do that. And he reeled up in, in typical Tarantino fashion, reeled off a bunch of obscure ones. And one of them was Tunes of Glory. Huh. And I'm like, Ooh, I'm watching that tomorrow. I am intrigued now that Tarantino says that this is a, interesting military film that stands out because it gives a different perspective and tells a different tale that no one else has really done before it's on it's, it's an unusual way to mm. to discuss war themes mm. it, it's a similar it barracks. It, it's that similar thing of like uh following a similar kind of suit you've got like for more modern films it, it's like the jarhead approach where it's like when it talk about a war film and the effect that that has on soldiers when they get all amped and trained for war as marines and then they go there and there is no war like <laughs> with the first gulf war yeah. and then the next progression with the hurt locker where it's like what if how does that psychologically affect someone like coming home like yeah it's it's one of those type of films where you're like this is there's no war there's no conflict it's just diametric characters and ideals and presenting them to you it's pretty great yeah. Yeah, I was surprised. Hmm. Um, what else is there to talk about? James Kennaway, the 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 writer hmm. of the screenplay, he, he also the, uh, wrote the novel. Yes. Um, that that's I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's props to him, I suppose, because that's the kind of guy that's going like, let's let's write something, let's write a, a war film that's got no action sequences at all and I believe he was in a Highland Pipe Regiment as well okay yeah so it was kind of drawing upon like some personal stuff there as well or like you know knowing that world and that barracks life I guess okay hmm eh that's kind of I don't know I don't really have anything more to say about that Hmm. it's kind of trivial almost but yeah um (laughs) I don't know did did you have anything else with this one or I'm I'm kind of good I think with it I think I'm done alright well the only other little bit of kind of the trivia stuff I got is uh, the film was nominated for one Academy Award. Uh, We do this after we've kind of shat on (laughs) the Oscars at the beginning of this episode. But it was nominated for Best Writing, Screenplay Based on Material from Another Medium. Uh, It was also nominated for five BAFTAs, uh, Best British Actor for both Guinness and Mills. They were both nominated. Uh, Neither won, which is crazy. Uh, Best British Film, Best British Screenplay, and Best Film from Any Source. Uh, it also won the Volpe Cup at the 1960 Venice Film Festival, where it was also nominated for the uh, Gold Lion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's kind of it for my trivias. Uh, so we'll move on to the actual Criterion Edition itself. 
Uh, so it's still in print from Criterion. It has a one-disc Blu-ray, one-disc DVD, and it comes with... Uh, they've recently done a new 4K digital transfer uh, for the new... The Blu-ray release is kind of new. Okay. So they've gone in and kind of cleaned it all up and yep, done new 4K restoration. And there's an interview from 2003 with director Ronald Neen, audio interview from 2002 with John Mills, a te- television interview from 1973 with Alec Guinness, as well as trailers and the usual booklet and essays that Criterion usually do. Yeah, I read the essay. It was good. Mm. It, it, it puts uh, the film into context um, for the years that it came out. Yeah. Trying to explain the, the, the situation in which you have, why does this film... I think I think it mentioned there was a film that came out the previous year that was more or less the same situation to you know a war film that's not set in war and it just fucking bombed. It just no one connected with it and it just didn't yeah yeah bombed. Hmm. I, oh shit! I'm sorry, I stepped on your your puns. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, I think you also mentioned that uh, normally you wouldn't have a, a color film. It was usually black and white, and a lot of people were put off. By Alec Guinness's orange moustache. I kind of liked it. It was like the real telegraphing of he is a loud character. Yeah. So like, it's like a he's Scottish, b he's loud. Let's just yeah, yeah, yeah. put it out there for us. We got Technicolor. Let's use it. Let's put red. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess that'll probably wrap us up for Tunes of Glory. Uh, tune in in a fortnight's time when we've got one that I'm excited for. Uh, Oni Baba from 1964. Yeah, I'm very excited for this. I've never seen it. You've never seen I've it? I've never seen it. Um, but I think the last really old, weird Japanese horror film we saw was Kaiden. Maybe Kaiden? Yeah. In any probably. case, I fucking love that. Yeah. So I'm expecting is this that so- kind of thing. Is this something about like 60s Japanese folk horror that is really. Just Japanese horror in general is just always. Yeah, and I know big. this one's like. Beautiful black and white cinematography. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to dive into this one. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So I guess tune in in a fortnight's time when we talk about that one and what we thought. But um, otherwise, you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com. You can hit me up on Twitter at CriterionQuest. Uh, hopefully by the time this drops tomorrow or by the end of the week, I will put out my uh, favorite films of the year video. Uh, due to some technical difficulties, uh, it kind of had to be delayed a week or so. But uh, what happened? Oh, I um, just all the clips and stuff weren't right for exporting and stuff, and so I needed to get all the footage all over again and oh, pain in the ass. Oh god! So it's it's fine now. It's almost done, and hopefully in the next day or two it'll be out. So keep an eye out for that. Um, otherwise, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, for this week's episode, I am Chris. I'm Tom. See you next time. Uh,